Hello everyone, my name is Manuel. Welcome to another episode of My Conversations. Today I have the immense privilege of speaking with Juka Obi, who is a rap artist and a creative director with Globacom. Our conversation covered a lot of grounds, such as Juka's experience growing up in Lagos, mistaken Christianity, and religious happenings in Nigeria. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation. For people to, to know who you are, uh, just a brief summary of who you are and what you do. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, my name is Chuka Obi, and I'm a creative. I think that's probably the best way to describe it because I don't I, I don't do one thing. I just I'm an ideas person. So if it's ideas I'm in. Um, as far as job specification, I'm the director of creativity and innovation at Globalcom. Before then I was creative director at Inside Publicist. Before then I was creative director at DDB. Um, and yeah, everything that is creative, I get involved in it, whether it's, you know, whether it's work-related or not, whether it pays money or not. If it's creative, I mean it. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. I do music for fun on the side. I write also for fun on the side. So yeah, I think that probably sums it up. I think the, the part of you that I know very well is, is the music. Apparently you're into a lot of ads and creative stuff so have you always loved this um you know arts creativity even from from childhood yes right from childhood growing up we didn't have we didn't have um a tv for most of my childhood but we had a radio so i used to sit beside the radio and just listen to the ads that ran listen to the music and a lot of the ads used music as well so yeah i fell in love with the radio fell in love with the voices of the people um I fell in love with the idea that when they say stuff, I imagined what was being said. So I think that helped a lot with, you know, stretching imagination. So I've always been into it one way or the other. Yeah. So did you grow up in an affluent home? No, I did not. If, like I said, we didn't have a TV. If we were affluent, there would have been a TV. It depends on, on your parents. <laughs> there, there are some parents who are well yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. yeah. The reason why there was no TV was because the TV spoiled and there was no money to fix it or buy a new one. So, um, yeah, sometimes couldn't have, I'd have to, you know, school fees was hard to pay sometimes, you know, all that. So I did not go up in an affluent home at all. At all. So, what part of Nigeria was that? Lagos, Elijah Bariga. Oh, oh, that's really Lagos, Lagos. Yes. <laughs> so, I, I reckon you had other siblings. Was it sort of? Yes, six of us. Oh. I'm the second, second child, first boy out of two boys. My immediate younger brother, and then the rest are girls. So, yeah, it was a huge family, a big family. I'm glad it's a big family. Yeah. From nursery, primary, secondary, that was, in a sense, just your experience, the radio stuff, lack of TV and just... It, it was a radio until, like, when I was 11, because I didn't have TV, but maybe maybe I had TV, I remember TV maybe two, three years, up, up to the point I, I was 11. And at 11, I had TV for, like, a, like, two years, and then it was stolen. 
and then there was no TV again till like 1990, um, yeah, the, like four years. Yes, I was not even four years. And when TV came, it was because some people who were family friends were moving from where they were and they needed a place to keep their luggage. And one of their luggage, part of their luggage was a like a 1970s TV, black and white, you know, and those ones that you didn't, it has knobs, you have to turn the knobs. You know, so I um, yeah, even when the knob broke, we're using pliers to turn it. So um, yeah, we had that black and white TV till like the year two thousand and one or so. Um, yes, it was two thousand actually. In two thousand, uh, we got another TV, secondhand TV, and after that, I think we've always had TVs. Yay! So. so so would you can you remember some of the radio stations or presenters or artists you were listening yes. to? I remember vividly actually. Okay. So radio stations within Nigeria, within Nigeria two, within Nigeria three. Um so within Nigeria two is now known as Metro FM. Okay. Um the the presenters Jacob Akimi Johnson, better known as JJ the Macadon. He then he was a teenager, in fact. Um, his mentor was my favorite guy on, on radio, Benson Donigy, who turns out to be Bonaboy's grandfather. Mm. Um, so those were the two voices that I couldn't, I couldn't forget. Jacob Akinyami Johnson, Benson Donigy, um, the... The other people that I knew already, I didn't necessarily know them by name. I knew them by their work. Okay. So um, there was Ted Mukoro, who used to do a lot of radio ads. Um, I think he's late now. It was amazing. So he was the guy behind Shine Shine Bobo. Oh. Then bust and pull for glass. He's what actually said, came up with the phrase Shine Shine Bobo. He was the one. Um, so that's I what ad. Yes, I liked it a lot. I liked a lot of foreign ads as well. So interestingly, some of the best ads on radio belonged, and is weird, belonged to cigarettes. So there was John Player Goldleaf. They had amazing, amazing videos. Amazing ads. Um, Benson and Hedges had amazing radio ads. Rothmans of Pall Mall had amazing radio ads. Marlboro Country had amazing radio, radio ads. Vitafoam had a radio ad back then I really liked. And it was done by Benson and Donnie G. So the, the singing goes, invest in the best by Vitafoam. So he will talk about how Vitafoam is going to go. Vitafoam costs a little more but gives you so much more. You know, so I, maybe that's where my love for copy started coming from. So I used to know all these things. I used to know the ads word for word. Now, there were a lot of, this was Mbabangida's era. So there was a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, national orientation program ads going on on radio, telling you about things like, about driving, all those things. So there was one that was about um, 
driving and goes brum, 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 fee, fee, fee. Now nah, waiting. <laughs> Take time oh. drive that motor jeje. Life you know get duplicate. And there was one about 911, about uh, 199, which was police. So he goes, call police, you make a call police, you. We don't want a more about anymore. Call police, you. I'm I'm rubber, no be spirit. And a person like you and me, now for this Nigerian, they eat, they chop, even they cause wahala. So it, it basically says, if you know anybody, maybe um, I'm rubber, make you call 199 before I'm rubber damage you, your wife, your picking, or your property. Help yourself. Oh, police, you make a call, police, you. So there were a lot of those kind of ads running at that time, basically trying to sensitize people, you know, on on yeah, things. So all those ads, they, they stayed with me. There was one for CAPL. Um, CAPL, you and me, we all believe in quality. We're all friendly people in the CAPL family. Then, like I said, the government were doing a lot of um, orientation things. So there was something called MAMSA. I don't know if any of you ever heard of it. So, so it was supposed to be like helping provide things for all kinds, all Nigerians in the rural areas. So it goes, we are MAMSA people. We've got the basic things of life, food, power, supply, water, and education. Nigeria, let us be mobilized. Stand up for your rights. Go for hard work, honesty, and greater democracy. We are Nigeria. That was weird because it said greater democracy, and it was during Babangira's time, which was a <laughs> dictatorship. You know, so also it, that was a time also when Abuja became a thing. So they had the theme song for people to come to Abuja. Abuja is the place where you should be. Abuja is the place, wonderful. Something, something, homes for everyone. And this was like 1990 or something of that sort. So, yeah, yeah apparently you have quite vivid imaginations and um, sort of memories yeah. of, of yeah. growing up. So how? How has Nigeria really changed for you in that time and, and this, this present time, especially when it comes to the media? Well, the matter is Nigeria has not that many ways when it comes to advancement. And that is because in no small, when it comes to all this, you know, communication, it comes in no small part to the work that Obasanjo did. Because that opening of privatization or you know, democratization of information was a big, big deal. You know, it changed a lot of things. Before that, um, the first step towards this was, was Abacha, I think, because it was during Abacha's period that we still having private radio stations. So Ray Power came out. After Ray Power came out, um, Cool FM came out. Um, before then, everything was state or, or nation-owned. Nation so after Repower, there was rhythm, actually. After rhythm, there was cool. And it, it started to happen. It's just like popping up. And then when Abacha died and democracy came, it, um, it just blew out of the water with the coming of the telcos. 
that that was really the water the watershed moment that took Nigeria you know where it is it caused a lot of things to happen it caused even the markets to open it caused the economy to boom so that was in my opinion the key moment when you know um, communication and um, um, everything that has to do with you know PR media just became a big deal in Nigeria. So where does your um, love from for rap right come? Come from? Um, I think it came from hanging with friends who liked rap and from the radio. So I think the first time it it struck me that I really liked rap was I think it was um I it was Coolio, I think. Yes, it was Coolio's Gangsters Paradise. Because before then, I never really used to listen to what was being said. Well, Coolio's Gangsters Paradise just made me listen. I was like, oh, I like this. I really like this. And after that, I started to listen. And then the more I listened, the more I listened, the more I liked it. Because I could hear the, the brilliance in the writing. I could hear the poetry in the writing. I could hear the use of a lot of puns and metaphors and I'm like oh this is smart oh this is really smart you know so I was already drawing right from childhood so now it was like oh this is why I was painting pictures with with pencils and stuff because they're painting pictures with words so and I got really drawn to that I guess you picked up this love for music and arts early and so why did you I reckon you studied um, sociology and anthropology so why did you um, opt-in for that course? I didn't want to study something I already knew okay. or liked. So in primary school, I was the best in art from primary one to primary six. In secondary school, I drew, I was the best in art and I dropped fine arts in GSS3 because I was better than my art teacher. Are you serious? Yes, I studied music instead. So I, went, I just wanted to learn stuff I wasn't already good at. I didn't want to just specialize. Even when I went to secondary school, in secondary school, in, after JSS3, I went to science class. So literally, I wanted to know about everything, something about everything. So, yeah, my, an ex-girlfriend of mine used to call me Ren Man, as in the Renaissance Man, because she knew I was, I just was, interested in knowing something about everything. So I would even take, when I was in uni, my friends, I'd take their biochemistry um, handouts mm. and just read and try to understand a few things about what they know. The pathways and all that. Yes. So literally, it was just, oh, get all the knowledge you can. Yeah, I know something about biochemistry because that's what I, I studied. Nice. Nice. <laughs> So what's been your best project music-wise? When did um, you really enjoyed working on? Okay. Um, if it's musically, um, that's hard because I've done music in different capacities as a, you know, like a, an ear to some people as the part and parcel of the, of the production process. I've done my own albums. Um, and, but from the musical standpoint, 
I think I just I don't think of them in terms of which one I enjoy the most. They they all come with different emotions and they do different things for me. But when it comes to working on stuff with others, um, musically, I think I'm looking forward to the work that's coming from Duny's album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be really, really good. Um, I've been, I've had the privilege of listening to a lot of albums before they drop, and I can tell you that the Adekunle Gold album. It's going to be something special, like that kind of Grammy level special. So I I reckon there was one you guys won an award recently. So that was um, Burner Boy twice as tall. All right. So now Burner Boy is twice as tall. Um, I was very privileged to listen to the music as it was being produced and everything. But where I really worked on was the um, art of it. Like I was the, the director in charge of the art for the album so the album cover all that uh, yeah and i got a grammy so that's amazing that's cool congrats so is there like um a philosophy that sort of guides your your own lyrics you know personal um... yeah yes so for me it must be it must be i think the right word for it is edifying so it doesn't necessarily have to be christian it just has to be wholesome. So I'll never do songs that are saying things that, you know, you have to cover your child's ears. I'll never do music that you listen to and end up with a negative mindset. I'll do music that make you make you awake to your own responsibilities, awake to the fact that some people are actually here and they are not, they don't like you, they're not here for you. But it will be always music that is useful to you, not music that is throw away or just for you to go and party to. I think that that's true because I listened to to your album um, "Code of Arms" and the most recent. And for me, I, I for me the lyrics really matters a lot. I don't just listen to the beats are also important because you yeah. you want to sort of have that level of interaction with it, but also the words that really. Um, really important yeah so that's exactly exactly what it's about for me right so going back to um you you did mention it, it doesn't have to necessarily be christian but um, yes. i reckon you grew up in a christian home yes i did very much so yes okay so was that really you know part and part central um in in being brought up yes it's it it, it shapes it shapes like majority of everything about my life my perspective everything yeah it's like you everybody has their code everybody has their principles some people their principles are formed you know after some people are they formed earlier um lucky my principle was formed and it's god family those are the main things so you didn't have any sort of Rebellious time period, like some of us, though we had a That's the crazy thing. I never did. And sometimes I wonder if it's a good thing because I feel like maybe I should have had a rebellious period so I can know what it feels like to be rebellious so that maybe when I need to deal with rebellious people, I can really say, you know, I understand. I know what it's been like. I don't know what it's been like. I, 
I've never had, you know, that rebellious period in my life. I never really had the freedom to be rebellious. Besides, you gonna need you need a little bit of money to be rebellious, in my opinion. <laughs> and I was too broke to be rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, <laughs> are you say a Roman Catholic, um, Pentecostal? I'm a Christian. I don't believe in labels. I grew up as a Catholic. Okay. So, um, but what I found out as I grew up, because I was a very devout Catholic, very devout. But as I grew up, what I found out as the more I studied the Bible, yeah. the more I found out that there's a lot of things that were being done that were not Christ-like or Christian or mm-hmm. even according to what the Bible says we should do. So, of course, you find as a if, since you've been doing it all your life, it's hard to change. And you now start to rationalize it. But after I, when you continuously grow up, you now know I have to drop this, I have to drop that. And once I notice that, I this I actually try to find out why if this is like clearly stated, why did the Catholic Church still do it? You know. And and also that the big issue was it, there are a lot of things that have become institutionalized in the Catholic Church. And even when it's wrong, they will not change it. And it was a huge problem for me. So I tried to go to other churches and I enjoyed it at first, Pentecostal churches. Then I noticed the exact same thing. So they have their own practices that they've added that are not from the Bible and they will not change it too. So I don't understand, just say it's a human, it's a human condition. You know, so everybody is you know talking about the other people but they're not removing their own speck in their own eye every single practically every single denomination you know have their own set practices they do that is not biblical and they don't want to change it you know so i don't i don't think that is about where the about what denomination you are in it's about do you care enough about the God that you are worshiping more than the denomination that you are, you are claiming to be from. So I have it's a church I worship, which is called Victoria Fellowship Church. And why I like the church a lot is because they do not discriminate. It's an interdenominational church. Um, every anybody that wants to come can come. Um, the word is preached by different people, and to the point that the management of the of the funds of the church is this is actually shared with the entire congregation every month so you can see how much came in you can see how much went out you can see where the money went to so i love that kind of accountability i think because one of the one of the reasons why i did ask that question was i think your pin tweet um something about the video by uh, a man yes. about christian yeah. i think my first <laughs> My first interaction with you know your Twitter profile was probably through that video. Okay. Yeah, and so of course there are lots of criticisms about the Christian faith and all that, which is why I did ask you so that I would know where to um, take yes. this question. Well, that's good. Interestingly, that video, the guy preaching, hmm. his name is Mark Finley, and Mark Finley is a seven seven day Adventist. I've never been to Seventh-day Adventist church in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I've even met a Seventh-day Adventist before, you know, but 
I understand well, when you see the word of God and you see the truth of the word of God, it is clearly there. So I don't know about all the other practices, but that particular message he preached, that was the word of God. Now, which is why I'm quite grateful for what you're saying, because I think one of, one of the big challenges is that of authority, where it's the ultimate authority, which is why some of those churches uh, wouldn't want to change what they are doing because of authority. But if, if one's authority is the Bible, then in a sense, we are open to reforming ourselves. Absolutely. And that's, the, you said the key word, reforming. Mm-hmm. You know, once people understand that the authority is the Bible, not the people, then you make whatever changes you need to change, make, because everybody has to keep learning. There's no, oh, we've, we've arrived. We've never, we, there's no arrival. We, are, we keep changing because we keep learning. But if, if you learn, if you, if you, you know what the Bible says about, oh, if you keep saying this, you are like a man who looked at the mirror and forgot how his appearance was. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what's happening. You know, people will stay the way they, where they are, even when they know it's not the right way, just because, oh, that's the way we've been doing it. That's, if, that's the, if that's the case, there'll be no phones. Who, who have been the most um, influential persons in, in your life? My parents are clearly the most influential, I think. My mom and my dad. Um, my mom, because she was my first teacher. I, by the time, by the time I went to sec- to primary school to nursery school, I actually spent two days in nursery school, not or two weeks in nursery school. I can't remember which one, and I went to primary one because they said everything they wanted to teach me in nursery school I already knew. <laughs> yeah, my mom taught me taught me all that. Um, and then my dad, because of he was the spiritual person, spiritual. Um, head. head, yes, and he was very active in in church in the charismatic renewal, which is the equivalent of like the Pentecostal church inside the Catholic church. So it, it, it was the reason why you know I got to learn a lot of all those things and had so much interest in it. My mom too was very very um, devoted. My dad was a teacher, so he was always I was always listening to him teach it. So the more he taught, the more I learned. So I think those two people. You know, and also my mom was the one who, when I didn't really care about how, how much I could draw and everything, I used to draw and just throw away the stuff. My mom used to keep them. So she's the reason why I still have like a Christmas card I made in primary two. That was the best in, it made the best in art. She still has it. She still kept it. This is, this is like 35 or maybe 33 or something years ago. So is, is, is those kind of the two of them they literally were the forces behind you know what I became everybody that influenced me I think or people that I, I was attracted to because they reminded me either of my mom or my dad so yes it's the two of them and the second set of people will be my friends that I created um, friends that I made in in secondary school who are my friends still today all because they could draw so we were like you know, we're rivals, arts rivals, and then we became a clique, and we've been a clique ever since. And the same guys I write with, same guys I draw with, same guys I rap with. Up, up till today, right? Up till today, yes. What you've said about parents and how they shaped your life. Would you say today that young people are, in a sense, losing uh, an appreciation of marriage and family and even, you know, really wanting that? 
I would say on social media, yes. I don't know about anywhere else. <laughs> social media lies a lot and acts like, you know, the reality of social media is the reality of everyone else. Um, you never really hear about, just in, just in the same way, you only hear about the planes that crash. You know, it's the same way you don't, you only hear about the marriages that crash. Absolutely. You know, so marriages that are successful are not news. Marriages that crash are news. And when you have a set of people who have decided, you know, to be influenced for the worse by the media around them, what you're going to be getting is negative stuff. And the truth of the matter is social media has has its positives and its negatives. Because while it is great for making information clear open to all, it's almost like there's never been a more stupid generation now than now. Like it's like you have so much access to information, but you don't care about getting the information. Worse still. When you look at the way you know um, people behave with you know with social media, it, there's a there's a serious um, obsession with attention. So people will say the most outrageous things, wear the most outrageous things, do the most outrageous things, just to get attention. You know, so they they people are just craving you know people craving attention of the world so they would dress in the most you know the most degrading ways you know all because they're trying to get people to notice them so i think that's the main issue self-esteem is the main issue and until people are able to understand that their self-esteem has nothing to do with how people think of them to keep having these issues so actually it's in a sense a lack of self-esteem or absolutely yes is that lack of self-esteem that causes them to need validation from outsiders? And that's why people keep pushing this funny agenda because, look, everybody has what they're looking for. There's always going to be a selfish interest. I mean, all these brands, all these people, all these app owners, they want, they know what they want. And if what you're doing is going to help them get what they want, they'll keep pushing you. I mean, when, you, when there was a silhouette challenge, for example, it's free. And people are putting out themselves naked there for free. But who are people watching? Is the apps? Is the apps that are getting more more views? Is the apps that are getting more users? Is the money that is going to their pockets? So people are just freely giving money to these people who are using them, but they don't know and they don't care because all they will look, all they want to be paid in is attention. So they are being played literally. Incidentally, this morning I began uh, as a book I'm reading and. I intend, it's about 30 chapters, so I intend to just take one chapter every day for, for the month. And the, the first chapter, the, the author was talking about um, populism and all that. And he made this, this statement that modern people sort of have a lot around us, both materially, you know, wealth and, and all that. Yet mm-hmm. there is still that sense of emptiness in us. Absolutely. And you see that in social media, as you're saying now. Um, if when we compare ourselves to people who lived 30, 40, 50, 60, even 100 years ago, mm-hmm. we actually have more than them wealth, you know, prosperity, access to health. Absolutely. Yeah, it is as if we are more empty in a sense and spiritually bankrupt. I don't know if, yeah. if, if you relate with that. Absolutely true. And that's the truth. It's like the more we have more, we have things, the, the more empty we have become. You know, and that's because there's this, this, the main issue is the insatiable 
desire for more, the lack of con- of understanding of contentment. And as long as we are never content, there's always going to be a problem. Always. You know, because you can never be satisfied with all the things you get, no matter how much you get it. And that's a huge problem. A huge problem. I mean, so generally, the, the online space is like a place where people just come and fight one another. Or the other extreme put up, you know, a false image of themselves just to get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what the online space is. It's because it's, it gives people if, 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 if kind of freedom, you know, to, to be who they really are not. And, you know, and not be policed. So that's the huge problem. That's a huge problem, and they will keep doing it. So I, I listened to um, one of your albums, The, the Code of Arms. Um, yes. Was that inspired by some things going on in Nigeria? Yeah, so in tr- all the music I've done until... Um, until I, had, I have an album, it's titled Black Godzilla. That should be the latest, I'm thinking. Yes, that's the latest, yes. So, um, Coat of Arms, uh, up on the Coat of Arms, every single thing I've done music-wise has been focused, and I didn't even really notice it, so I pointed it out. It's all been focused on the betterment of Nigeria. So the first album we dropped was in 2005 and it was titled Jihad but Jihad was an acronym J-I-H-A-D it meant join in helping avert disaster so that was the first album the second album was dropped in well after that I in 2005 I dropped a solo album in 2007 it was titled The Manifesto of the Lyricist Party now, anybody who studied or understands sociology will understand that the, the most prominent figure in communism is Karl Marx. Yes. And he and his friend Frederick Engels came up with what was called the Manifesto of the Communist Party. And I was really into, I studied sociology, so I was really into, you know, those those books and those understanding of sociology and society and Nigerian globalization. So the album was called The Manifesto of the, and I just changed lyricist, changed communist to lyricist, and I did that album. So he talked about everything, both, you know, um, um, Nigeria's issues, um, issues with, you know, uh, being in debt to the World Bank, all those things, IMF, I discussed all that because I've always been about, you know, and I like to rap about anything and everything I, you know, brag. But I think deep down, I always want to make a difference. So by the time I did that album in 2007, and that was my absolute album. In 2009, I did another album with my guys, just like the same guys I did the Jihad album with. We did another album that was called Reincarnation. But Reincarnation means, was written re ink a nation so let's literally rewrite the fortunes of this nation so again it was all about you know making nigeria better and then after that the next time i did an album was in 2014 and the album was titled the biafran tape 
And just like jihad, right? The Biafran say Biafran meant something. So Biafran was an acronym for because I so it's because I advocate for reorientation among Nigerians. That's what B-I-F-R-A-N. So it has had nothing to really do with say the real Biafran. Yes, exactly. So it was like this is what we're fighting for. Biafra is if you're fighting for anything, Biafra, it shouldn't be about you know breaking up a country. Mm-hmm. It's about the mindset that fixes things. So I did that. And then um in 2017, I was going to drop because when I dropped um um the Biafra tape, I promised I was going to drop coat of arms. I, I actually recorded Code of Arms in 2017, but I couldn't, you know, put it out because so many things came up. I, I was a creative director with so much to do, you know, so just things just kept, you know, stopping me from focusing on it. So it was actually until the um, lockdown, when the lockdown happened and everybody had to work from home. I was like, you know what, let me just finish this thing once and for all. So that's when I just took time out, got it all done, and also recorded um, Black Godzilla. Because, you know, now I didn't have to spend a lot of time in traffic anymore going left and right. And so that's how, those, that's how those two albums came out to be. But like I was saying, those albums were all focused on that idea of urban Nigeria. Black Godzilla was the first time I did an album where I was like, it's not just all about Nigeria. Black Godzilla is called Black Godzilla because the album was inspired by production I've been hearing from some of Nigeria's um, producers who were, you know, hip-hop producers. So there were three guys that really liked their work. One's name is Black Intelligence, and that one's name is Ill God, and the third guy is my guy from a long time ago. His name is Techzilla. So it's Black, as in Black Intelligence, God, as in Ill God, and Zilla, as in Techzilla. That's where the name Black Godzilla came from. Given all this, what would you say is Nigeria's greatest challenge? Look, the country is very diverse. I was speaking with someone earlier today, and which uh, is part of you know what dominated our conversation. We have different lots of tribes, hundreds, if not. And there's there's been the challenge of you know having this diverse set of people together and what would you say is Nigeria's greatest challenge? Is it a tribe? Is it um, religion? Is it the geographical location or what? Nigeria's greatest problem are two things. Leadership and vested interest. So vested interest comes in two things. It comes in first tribalism. So when you always think only from a very, you know, me point of view, you end up making bad decisions because you cannot see beyond your nose. So most Nigerians, oh, the person is from here. That's right. And if you look at it, it happens even from marriage. Marry from here. Don't marry from here. You know? So we we do not care about competence. We don't care of meritocracy. You don't marry that person because that person deserves, you, you know, has proven themselves to be deserving of your love. Marry them because they are from so-and-so and they are from so-and-so family. That's rubbish, you know? So it's not today. It just translates into our um, governance as well. 
and it will not change because Nigerians like, you know, to focus on the wrong things. So in Nigeria, we give somebody who they consider humble a job, even when it's clear, guy doesn't know how to do the job, than to give it to the person that is perfectly qualified because they feel that person is arrogant. So that's, those are the kind of people that we are. And yet we expect things to work out. How are they going to work out? So vested interest, you are working, you know, you will not give the person's jobs or you will not, you want everybody looking to get a cut off something. You're always ending up with contracts that are super inflated to the point that the contractor cannot do the job anymore because everybody has taken cuts from it. Or when he does it, it's now an inferior job because that, that's all the money that was left for him to do it. Or they give him the job and then in the same way, all you think about is his pockets. Not, you know, like it's so bad that even when you're trying to do simple things like you, you're trying to rent a house and you go to the house and you check it, then it's a new house. And then you look at the, at the level of the work of the craftsmanship of the house. And it's so badly done. They can't even keep a straight line when they're doing walls. Do, do you do so? And the reason is simple all they care about is getting paid. They do not have any dignity of labor, none. So you, you don't even care that your name is on it. And yet you, you expect to complain about people that are in government. You are the same thing. So if Nigerians do not fix that problem of leadership, not just on the point of view of, you know, who is in, go- in government, taking the lead in your own life, having the dignity to stand by anything you do. If they call and say, ah, this person did it, you say, yes, I did it. You put your name on it, your stamp on it, and you know it's real. How many of Nigerians can do that? They can't because they know or they did the job for is to collect their, uh, what do you call it, their, their um, paycheck and bounce. It, what can they do? They have, if they told them, oh, do this job for free, would they do it? So if we cannot solve the vested interest, self-interest, selfish interest discussion, we cannot solve the leadership issue because it's those same. That's the same thing that have those leaders are suffering from. You don't come into Nigeria thinking Nigeria is like my family or my own house. And I'm going to live in Nigeria for the rest of my life. And I must make sure that this place I'm going to live in, this I'm, I'm literally building my family home. And this family home must work 247. They don't think about it like that. It's a place to come and cash out. Nigeria is a cash out to everybody. And until that changes, nothing is going to change. So how how, how do you um, propose that? Or how, what, what would you say is the solution for such um, mindset? So, you know, the first solution is, you know, I said because I, when the Biafran, the Biafran means because I advocate for reorientation among Nigerians. Nigerians need a reorientation. You know, Bible says in Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to the standard of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, Nigerians, Nigerians have made their minds to be renewed. All they see is the standard of this world, the cars, the flashiness, how they, talk, how they, they just want to get the money. Their minds are not renewed to think of it from the point of view of, look, all these things will come because I deserve it. And people will see the work I'm doing and be like, damn, this guy deserves this. They don't think of it in that manner. 
they are looking for who to do give away, looking for because they just want the money and they want it now. They don't want anything that has to do with the building or the practice that comes with you know earning what it is that they are looking for. They don't want any of that. So it is the reorientation, it's the change of the mindset. It's having leaders that stop, and Buhari is a big symptom of this issue. The reason why people voted for Buhari is because they believe Nigerians have this magician slash messianic yeah. inferiority complex. Like he was so coming with a magic wand kind of. Yes, wave everything away. Wave the, the dollar to be one naira. Wave, that's all, you know, we don't want to do the work. Oh, this has not happened. They don't, they, and that, and it, so Barry is a major, major part of the problem because he's, that's what he was selling to the people. So there was no way they were going to be patient with you because you sold them a, the, that sold them a magic chant. And once the magic failed, boom, everything came crashing down. So that is the problem. We want a Messiah. And look at even Jesus said that was a Messiah. Look at what happened when he was on earth. Work needed to be done. It was a it was a slow and painstaking work. He didn't just come with a magic wand and Israel was fine. It didn't work like that. But Nigerians, that's what they, they ask for, that's all they require. They don't care about the actual work that goes into getting that thing done. So that is the main issue: the renewing of the Nigerian mind. We need to be able to vote in a leader that can understand that the fundamental problem is mental. Do you have hopes for 2023? Um, <sighs> that's, that's a very, tough one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. If they allow the elections to be free and fair, there is hope. But with what I'm seeing, with the fact that they're all going, all this, um, um, the way bandits and co are flooding in from Niger, I'm almost certain they're going to be registering Nigerians to vote in Nigerian elections. And this one's only going to vote based on orders. They are not going to vote based because they have no they have no clue or care about what's good or bad for Nigeria. They just want their money based on their paymasters. So if by any chance any is a, a, a candidate that's able to wake Nigerians up then by all means, there is hope. But it cannot be the very, very clueless and wicked old guard that will bring Nigeria forward. It's not the likes of Tinubu. Those ones have nothing but evil planned for Nigeria. Look at what his, his wife did when somebody was complaining about the insecurity in Nigeria. All she could talk about and care about is PDP and APC. How wicked can a woman be? How wicked can a mother be? How wicked can a grandmother be? It's a shame. What's been the greatest lesson you've learned in, in your career? What would you say is the biggest lesson you've, you've learned? The biggest lesson I've learned in my career is that creativity thrives when they create, the person that is creating it acknowledges his creator. Creativity is called creativity. The creator of creativity is the creator of mankind and the creator of everything. If you, and I can say for myself, if you can focus and give him his place 
and it's a slow, it's a, it's a slow journey. You're not gonna just come one day and boom. You have to grow in it. As you do, as you draw close to him, you'll find out that he's not creating is not as hard as people make it out to be. You don't need any sort of stimulants to be creative. You just need to go close to the person that as the real creator. That's what I found out. And that's what has been working for me all my life. So it's but is there something you think you and you wish you, you had known before you began? Yes. I wish I had known that Bitcoin would be go just be. But yeah, I I think I just wish I had, you know, been able to have the the awareness to widen my, you know, my perspectives or broaden my perspectives when I was much younger. And I wish I had the kind of resources that all these young people have. They've been able to have, you know, all this, um, all these platforms, mm-hmm. social media, um, um, streaming, streaming platforms, all those things. If we had it in our time, Nigerian music would have even been far higher than where it is today. But yeah, everything happens in its time and in good time. So I'm happy for everybody who is making the most of it now. So are you currently working on a personal project? Um, yes, I am. I am working on a few projects, including the music album or two. Let's see how that goes. There'll be some big names on it, I think. It's great. I'll be expecting that. Right. So lastly, where can people get um, go to... Um, get more of your content, music, follow you and all that. Yeah, so um, anybody can, I'm most active on Twitter because Twitter is where you can have conversations. Um, Instagram makes you just take photos. Uh, Facebook feels, makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, on Facebook, you can find me, Chuka Antonio B. On Instagram, you can find me, Xavier B. On LinkedIn, you can find me, Chuka B. And on Twitter, where you find me the most is Chukaobi. And you'll find my music on all streaming platforms, any streaming platform of your choice, just Google Dasuki. I'm sure it will pop up. Thank you very much. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll add some of this links to the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, my pleasure.